Hi, my name's Tom Quillfell. Welcome to Sound of Play Extra. That was the prologue to Diggs Nightcrawler by Jim Fowler. I'm a Kane and Rince listener turned contributor and uh, turned up on Sound of Play 32 way back in January 2016 with Leon. What you'll hear shortly is an interview with Jim Fowler, one of the in-house composers who works at PlayStation's London offices. It was recorded as a Skype interview for a written article, but with Jim's consent, we've turned it into a hopefully insightful extra interview for you guys. Jim's official title is Principal Composer at Sony Interactive Entertainment Europe, and in one form or another, he's essentially been PlayStation's in-house musical handyman for nearly 14 years. He started off by transcribing songs for the SingStar games and generally helps out wherever required since then. He's an accomplished composer in his own right, as evidenced by his live big band score for the PlayStation Wonderbook title Diggs Nightcrawler, which we've just heard from. And he's also contributed compositions to several SingStar and Little Big Planet games over the years. In recent years, you're most likely to have heard his orchestration work for the VR compilation PSVR Worlds. And uh, he helped Jessica Curry bring to life the score for Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. He's also working on the Chinese Room's upcoming Google Daydream VR game, So Let Us Melt, which I believe they're recording at Air Studios any day now. He also worked as an orchestrator on Bloodborne, and in particular, the Old Hunters DLC. We're going to hear a little bit of Ludwig the Holy Blade by Nobuyoshi Suzuki from the Bloodborne DLC, The Old Hunters, after which you'll hear my interview with Jim. Thanks for joining me, Jim. How did you get into composition and then into games music? I went to a music college in Leeds and did a degree in jazz. Had modules on staying up late and drinking too much. Um, and uh, uh, after that, I did uh, music and, and things like that for theatre for a while. After my degree, sort of writing and performing and that kind of thing. I uh, then went to Bournemouth to do their MA with Stephen Deutsch for the, uh, the, the composing for the screen, which is a really good course because you kind of did most of your lectures with the sound design guys as well. So it was all about, uh, you know, it doesn't matter when you do a film, um, you might think about the soundtrack when you're making it as the music, the, the voices, the sound effects. But when someone watches the film, the soundtrack is all of that. So, um you should try and work together as much as is humanly possible. So yeah, that, that was a sort of a fun year. And from that, I uh, guess I heard about the Sony job through somebody who had been on the course and was then working at Sony. Did video games interest you personally, or was it the case that, as so often happens in the creative industries, you're, you, you know, you're going down one path and another opens up uh, unexpectedly? 
Well, it was a bit of both. I was interested in games and I was interested in game music. I wouldn't say I was solely focused on that. And to a certain extent, a day job uh, doing music stuff, uh, you know, transcribing and what have you, was a, a very nice day job for someone who needed a day job to support the the creative stuff in the evening. You know, could have that or a, a call center or a bookshop or whatever. I guess at that point, I was uh, like, is, is it games, is it film? You know, it was, uh, there were... There were a bunch of paths ahead and games sort of opened up. That's where I am. And I was certainly interested in it in the first place. You know, I had investigated that as a, a possibility. And what were you doing with Sony and PlayStation to start off with? I started transcribing songs for SingStar just after the release of the very first game. So I was literally listening to the songs uh, and writing out the melodies in MIDI and getting that into game with the various lyrics and gameplay tags and things. So that's two, that's 2004, the very first thing, Star, isn't it? Yes. So you've been, uh, you've been around for a while. I have, <laughs> yeah. If you think about the wider industry and the other games you may have played since 2004, what do you think have been the major shifts for game music? I think what the music is has broadened massively. The expectations of what music in a game is have changed from... I mean, they, they'd gone past people thinking they were bleeps and bloops by the time I was doing stuff, but they, perhaps they were in a little bit if it was an orchestra, it was a big orchestra with lots of brass and lots of drums and lots of taikos, and that's what it sounded like. But I think sort of games as a medium has matured, and there are different types of games that's allowed different musics. And I think now there, you know, the expectation is that the music will be correct for the game in the same way that you expect the music to be correct for a film or a TV show or a play. You know, I think as a composer, I think you can present possibilities uh, in you know internally when you're working on stuff and people are open to the idea of doing something different or trying something new and audiences seem to me to be hungry for that kind of thing for everything to not sound the same yeah absolutely and obviously games like fez and significant indie games everybody's gone to the rapture hotline miami they bring a new sound, they bring something really new, the soundtracks take on a life of their own. Yeah, it becomes another way to give your game its own identity and a recognisable identity. You know, there are certain scores that you hear about them and you know you know where that's from. Um, I think game creators do want that, you know, in the same way that they want their art to be distinct and the, the story and the animation, I think they who want the music and the sound to have a recognisable identity as well. I was at EGX Resd in London talking to the developers of an unfinished, beautiful, dreamlike, light-based game called A Light in Chorus. They've got some music and sound-based mechanics, but they haven't settled on a score or a composer yet, or they, they've in investigated that a little bit. Um, I think they've got something really special uh, that an ambitious electronic or ambient composer or artist could really sink their teeth into. Um, how early should indie developers be thinking about music for their games? 
it is difficult for indie developers when there's very few of you making something and you're you're trying to take care of everything yourself to a certain extent you know not just the the, the sort of internal development the external stuff the the pr the funding the whole thing it can be difficult and you know it is easy to kind of go well you know what we don't really need this till the end so we'll think about it when we've got the headspace but the nice thing about being in early on a project is the music can become much more integral to the game and also if you spend time with the game if you spend time with the creators you can get a much better sense of what it is and you can bring more to it with the music not that coming on late on a project people do a bad job but i, I just mean you might you might, given time to experiment, discover something different, something interesting. And if nothing else, you can tie in with the mechanics of the game better. You know, the music can really be designed within the interactivity of the game to sort of flow and, and really shape with the player's experience. So everyone's getting their own very bespoke thing. And um, so in that sense, it can be really valuable to try and make the time early on to get a composer involved i think and i guess from a time point of view perhaps it's a little more time up front but actually you can probably let them go away and do a bunch of stuff and not have to be worried about what they're up to for a little while i don't think you would have to think of it as a once you start with the composer you're kind of locked into doing a lot of work with them the whole way through when a video game composer is sitting there actually making stuff up you know chord changes or, or they've just written a great tune how easy is it to keep the player in mind uh, while actually composing because you know the game might not be finished the art might not be finished and it's such a an abstract thing thinking of how the player is going to experience the final game you know if a film composer sees a rough cut of a film they've got a reasonably good idea as to the the final experience well you have the game equivalent of a rough cut i guess in that we have design documents which won't aren't just text explaining how it will work there'll be uh concept art images there'll be reference points um uh, very early on there'll be uh sort of interactive experiments on what the gameplay is going to be what the interactivity is going to be can be just a grey box thing you know visually very uninteresting but it proves out the interactions and and that it's fun um so you get a sense of that timing so while you don't have a rough timing cut as you would for film you have concept art maybe some early character models synopsis of the story if that's relevant um might have a deck of powerpoint slides of essentially a, a rough storyboard of the whole game level breakdowns There'll be sort of uh, goals for what the player's feeling, I guess, you know, in terms of, you know, at this point in the game, to not them back, by the end, they should feel like an all-conquering hero or they should, you know. So we have a shape. So from a musical point of view, we know where we're aiming. We know where, where the hero starts and we know where they end. And all right, the nature of games, uh, we might not know exactly what's going to happen in the middle, but we know the journey that's going to be taken. So we can be working within that and we know, you know, broadly what the gameplay is and what the sort of timing of that kind of thing is like. We've spoken to the creators, so we know 
what they would like the music to achieve you know what it is they want it to support what they want to give to it um and then you kind of you work along with them and you you know the good thing is you don't have to wait till the very end and put everything you can put music in by yourself sat in your room test it in the game see whether it works fiddle around play around and there is some abstract writing and there are some things you have to wait you know any sort of rendered any cutscenes that are fixed timing that you may have to wait till the very end to do like a film but in terms of keeping the player in mind it, i guess that's it yeah it's the kind of the, the game equivalent of a rough cut or an outline or, or it does exist is it? So I do some work with Laced Records, which puts out game soundtracks, including for No Man's Sky, which you'd be familiar with, obviously, being at Sony and PlayStation. Um, and I interviewed Hello Games' audio director, Paul Weir, and also spoke to the band behind the soundtrack, 65 Days of Static, who are an instrumental rock band from Sheffield. And with that project, Hello Games, they liked the band uh, beforehand and wanted to use one of their songs for a trailer. And then they sort of all decided to work together on music for the whole game. And then the band went away by themselves, keeping more or less secluded uh, from the game's development. You know, they made a prog rock album that they would have made anyway. And then they, they came back to Hello Games with the finished album and the separate stems of, of the music, which Paul could then weave into the game using, you know, clever dynamic audio engine. And it's interesting that the designer for all of 65 Days of Static's record sleeves, a guy called Casper Newbolt, who worked on the No Man's Sky album artwork, you know, he talked about, he liked the idea that Daft Punk created the score for Tron Legacy before the film had even been shot. And, and why it's such a good album to him is, is that it's not just a, sa a soundtrack album that's, that's secondary to the movie, it's its own thing. So do you think there's any merit in that approach, you know, creating a body of music beforehand? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a different approach. And I think what you're doing there is kind of gaining an extra sort of collaboration or viewpoint on what you're doing that might bring something to the table that you hadn't thought of. And, um, and perhaps, and this is just a, a thought because I don't know, but perhaps there's something in, you know, uh, who people who are a band not soundtrack writers maybe for them it's more natural to go away with some inspiration and make an album of music than it is to sit and wait for a cut and watch the film and then write to that i don't know but yeah i mean i think and they're both really good soundtracks so i think it kind of it just brings something different to the table and there's certainly i think as a creator to sort of say to someone this is the this is the thing go away and uh based on what we, we've chatted about, go away for six months, write a bunch of music, bring it back. It'd be quite exciting to see what someone's done with that, you know, what 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 is their interpretation of what you're making, if you like. So you've worked on several soundtracks with rich live instrumentation. What does this 
bring to video games? Uh, you know, is it worth, I assume, the extra cost and difficulty? Yeah, for the right score, I think. I mean, my view is always if you want, you know, if you want it to be instruments, you should try and have it be real instruments. Samples are great and you can do all sorts of things with them and you can make brilliant mock-ups, but they're not real people. My preference, and this is purely my preference for me as a composer, is if the final product is real instruments, to have as many real instruments as possible. Sometimes budget doesn't allow, and so you bolster things with samples, or some of it's sampled and some of it's live, and even a little bit of live on top of samples really lifts things. But I think what you get with people is that their interpretation of the music and their their feeling as they play it. You know, a, a single held note on a flute played on a sample library. You know, you can um, you can program in the attack. You can program in uh, some shape to it. You could play it with a wind controller to so get some shape. You, uh, some programmed in vibrato. All of those things, but it's still with all of that, you're still limited to affecting that recording or stitched together several recordings of the thing. Whereas a single note, held note on a flute being played by a person who is responding to what's just happened and what's going to happen next is always going to be different. It's always going to be slightly more shaped, slightly more feeling or touch. Or I guess what you get with real people is infinite variety and tweakability instantly. I guess ultimately what it comes out, you can make samples sound amazing if you have the time. As a one-off cost, it is more expensive to get all those musicians in a room and record them. But once it's done, it's done. Uh, whereas perhaps with samples, you could be spending a very long time that is not actually practical for a full soundtrack. So if you took two different composers, say Jeremy Saul, who, who scores the Elder Scrolls games, and Jessica Curry, who scored Dear Esther and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. You know, Jeremy Saul, and this is not to bash him at all, uses samples and digital instruments to create the orchestral textures. And in his words, he will sweeten the important parts of the score with live singers and musicians. You know, by using samples, he's he's wearing so many hats. He's the composer, he has to perform the parts, he has to program the digital instruments, changing things like the attack, he has to mix it all. You know, he's got so much on his plate, assuming that he did most of it, you know, say the, the Skyrim soundtrack by himself. With Jessica Curry, you know, in the case of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which you personally helped orchestrate, she was more of a, a pure composer in that she she wrote the music, someone else engineered the recording sessions, the musicians performed the music, someone else mixed it. Not that she didn't 
uh, oversee all of that you know to some extent she's allowed to be more of a composer by keeping her desk relatively clear you know by not taking on those extra roles everybody's a composer and whether your tool is writing down dots or whether it's using the samples putting those things together i think it's just a different tool to achieve the same end i wouldn't say you're a i wouldn't say you're more of a real composer because you you write the dots but I, no i know what you meant are scores by a composer who doesn't do all of those extra jobs you know different no i think it's um i think it depends on the person and what they want to do you know some people want to really dig into all that tech stuff they want to be involved in mixing some people want to mix it themselves they want to do all the programming they want to have control of that some people want to just write the music and and hear it recorded some people you know in between i think it's a it's a kind of a a preference thing and yes sometimes there's a necessity to do perhaps a bit more of that stuff than you would prefer to but as long as it's scheduled properly then um then it's okay to do that stuff we've established that there have been some positive trends since you started in the industry with singstar what would you like to see happen next with game music? I'd love to see more interesting uses of interactivity, particularly if we're talking about in-house people, audio directors and stuff, really pushing the limits of what we can do uh, with a piece of music to support the player's experience and still have it be a piece of music, you know, and, Ideally, not to hear those joins so that it's like a, a, a piece of bespoke underscore that's made on the fly, right? It's uh, each player's individual. So you don't get that moment where you, you walk into the cave and you're about to be attacked by skeletons because the about to be attacked by skeletons music is playing or whatever. I just uh, the sort of the standard layers and chunks moving around is great, but we can get increasingly granular with that stuff. Um, you know, we can use MIDI to control things. We can have samples on the fly now. The memory's a bit better. They're not going to sound like the super great libraries with lots of love, but you could do interesting things. There's real scope to think about the music from the very beginning, about how it's going to be performed, essentially, in-game. And think about that like a concert or a piece in a theatre. Like You might think about that. You might think, right, I'm going to stick my trumpets in the balconies over there because when they come in that's going to be awesome might think about that when you're writing a piece for a concert hall i'd love to see people thinking more like that uh, more of that in games where you might go all right you know what this scene uh we're gonna have a pad and it's gonna be action but all my all my brass stabs and hits are gonna be triggered by uh explosions in the distance or something you know they didn't not as tied in necessarily set but you know like like in the way uh, inside does really cool things where that's with its sort of minimal music and with the sound in the way that that's tied into the game world Yeah. 
it's complicated and it takes more time but i think i would love to see something like really pushing the creative boundaries of what we could do with yeah sort of thinking of the gameplay as a performance of the music i guess interesting Apart from Inside, uh, what are some game soundtracks you've enjoyed recently, either in-game or listening to the album for pleasure? This is the problem with being a, being a musician, is that uh, when you're busy, you don't, can't really listen to music when you're working. So um, kind of have, I, uh, I liked the um, Last Guardian soundtrack recently. And particularly because it had woodwinds in, which often get left out. I like to hear them. So it was a a nice, lush sounding soundtrack that always pops in my mind is uh, the Warhawk soundtrack from years ago. You remember that? Just, uh, I mean, it was a fun game and I enjoyed that, but I just really liked the soundtrack, particularly the main theme. And I think partly it was because it was mostly on trumpets. bit unusual to have trumpets as the lead thing in a soundtrack because they're quite punchy but very fun enjoyable it sort of suited the game well trying to think it's hard because sometimes sort of try and not dissect a soundtrack when i like it you know if i'm sort of enjoying a game and the music's uh what about what about older games what about retro games what about your your childhood favorites or your teen teenage favorites Played a lot of civilizations, I guess the old, uh, 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 what's it called, Baba thingy, you know the one I mean. (laughs) Ah, Baba Yetu. And uh, what memory does that hold for you? Uh, getting lost in something, I think. I guess there's a nostalgia for a time when you could spend all day playing Civilization and hear that music and, and not finish and think, oh, blimey, <laughs> I haven't done the washing up. Yeah. And is there anything coming up that game music fans would be interested to know about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing the reaction to Jess's classic FM shows, the thing that's coming up. Yes. And uh, and how do you feel about that movement with the, the campaign over the last five years to get video game music into the classic FM Hall of Fame as a sort of a guerrilla battle for, for recognition? I, I think it's a good thing. And, I, you know, again, I think it comes out of that diversifying of what game music is that you know, there there is a demand for 
for it on the radio and for all the live concerts that are done and there's a demand for prom. I think there's a hurdle to overcome that there are people who still think game music is something else, you know, and they're often surprised when they hear stuff. But I, I think it's only it can only be a good thing if more people are hearing what game music can be and having their minds changed. Or not having their minds changed, but at least they've actually heard it rather than just being uh, against it. <laughs> I find that game music fans, myself included, can be a bit precious and, and ready to take offence to the odd classic FM snob in the comments who you know says this isn't real music. But I think we're, we're so far past bleeps and bloops. Uh, in some ways, the danger is that, that game music that makes it as far as the classic FM playlist sounds too similar to most Hollywood film music. On the preciousness front, I think all of games has been through that and is going through that. I think for a long time, it was a thing that had to be defended from people who wanted to ban it because it was corrupting people or from people, you know, from was pointless. And I think as a result, one of the sort of habits that you learned as someone who liked games was that you had to defend games because it was a sort of a fragile thing that might be taken away but i think we've reached a point where it's not a fragile thing anymore and there are enough games and there's enough differences in games that it's okay for you to agree with someone who doesn't like a game it doesn't mean you don't like all games you know but i think it's a habit that we are having to overcome like sort of knee-jerk defense of our thing against people you know no one expects you to like every film if you say you like films uh so I don't think you have to like every game, uh, you know, to call yourself a gamer. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure why the battle is happening around classic FM specifically, which of course only plays orchestral and ensemble music by professional recording orchestras and musicians. Something like Disaster Piece's original score for for Fez will never get played uh, on classic FM because it's. Electronica and, and chiptune-esque, but you know, it's amazing, it's a masterpiece. Why does getting played on, on Classic FM stand as a, as a mark of, of cultural acceptance? Now, is there a way of performing music from Fez as it originally sounded, you know, at a BBC prom, without it having to be classical per se? Yeah, I think so. Cause, I mean, you get all sorts of things at the proms. These days. You know, it's not just the orchestras. They have various late night proms and things, don't they? And uh, I think there is a way. I think it's just... It's a, a sort of slow creep forwards. You know, I think eventually the floodgates will open and things like Fez will get played on soundtrack shows, perhaps on other channels that don't have a, a specific remit. But I think it's moving towards that, but it's not there yet. And I guess I'd say it has to start somewhere. And if that somewhere is... A station that necessarily has kind of a, a narrower remit because that's what they do 
if they want to play that music, I think that's great. And if that, which hopefully it will, leads to other stations sort of pricking up their ears and and maybe exploring other areas of game music, then it's all good. And and how do you feel about hearing your work, say your orchestrations uh, of Jessica Curry's "Everybody's Gone to the Rapture," played on a on a national radio station? It's exciting. Nice. <laughs> it's nice, and you know, perhaps it's because it means something to people who don't necessarily like or under or are in the world of games. There are things, there are sort of achievements that mean something if you understand the world of games that mean nothing to someone else. But if you can say some music that I helped with was played on Classic FM, that means something to other people, older family members or something. It's nice in that sense that it allows you to share what you've been doing with people who perhaps aren't going to play a game. And maybe will play a game having heard me. That's a lovely thought to finish on. Thank you very much for your time, Jim. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. It was fun. So that was my interview with Jim. I may have sounded a bit negative about it, but I'm really pleased that the support shown by game music fans to get more game music onto Classic FM has, has paid off. And congratulations in particular to a chap called Mark Robbins, who, who campaigned hard for years to make this happen. Uh, Jessica Curry has been a a brilliant game music ambassador and is possibly the person with the best chance of driving forward the idea of an orchestral game music prom. We're surely a a step closer to that following the commissioning of her new game music show, High Score, on Classic FM, which I believe you can catch at 9pm BST on Saturday evenings for the next few weeks. We have one track left to play but I'd like to remind you that you can venture over to our forum at canaanrince.com forward slash forum where you can request songs for upcoming shows or react to shows that have already been aired. You can also get in touch with us at canaanrince on Twitter or find us on Facebook under our canaanrince brand. Uh, Thanks to Jim for agreeing to let this interview be aired as a podcast and thank you all for listening. This is Amazing Chase from Diggs Nightcrawler by Jim Fowler. (laughs) 